You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father in heaven, we come before you now asking God that you would speak to us through your word, Lord, that we would exalt you as our Savior, that you would humble us for the sake and glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to look with us this morning at uh, both a, a little combination of Romans chapter 13 where we read and also Matthew 24 and Jesus' words of his coming again. This first Sunday of Advent, we lit the candle. I'm sure you've noticed the Advent candle is present with us. This first candle is lit traditionally for the candle of hope, to remember to be hopeful as we look for the coming of Christ. The virtue of hope originates from God through the grace of faith. It draws the Christian towards God, providing him or her with hope in God and eternal life. God's holy presence is someone that has caused us, excuse me, his holy presence in someone that is caused by sanctifying grace is like the lit candle that is in need of armor to protect it from getting blown out. You have heard the story of a frog and a scorpion who's sitting on the bank of a stream and the scorpion comes up to the frog and says, I need a ride across the stream. And the frog asks, how do I know that you won't sting me? The scorpion's response is, because if I do, I will die because we will both drown. The frog is satisfied with that response and they set out. Midstream, however, the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog feels the onset of paralysis and begins to sink. And knowing that they will both drown, but the frog in his last breath asks the question, Why did you sting me? The scorpion replied, It is my nature to sting. It is our nature in in who we are to sin and to be sinful. Thomas Aquinas says no person can be sufficient cause of another's spiritual death because no man dies spiritually except by sinning of his own will. And Paul today speaks to us in Romans where he says, what does it look like to put apart the darkness, put off the darkness and bring to light the armor of Christ? Put aside the sinfulness and allow Christ to be reigning supreme in our lives. The emphasis is that the dawn of the age to come has arrived. Then the sun of righteousness and joy and perfect peace will surely rise on the horizon in due time. It comes through the lens of hope, but from a perspective of love. This love he speaks of has to be put on in order for it to function and succeed as God intends. So it answers two questions for us this morning. What does this love look like in light of hope? And secondly, how do we put that on? How do we put on love and hope? First, what does it look like? If you look with me at verse 12 of Romans, our passage today, it says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You see the words, so then. This means that we may live and and what we wear follows from the time. The day is at hand. So then, take off your pajamas. Take off your deadly sleepwalking clothes and put on 
What do we put on? Do we put on all the glitz and the flash and the skin and the swagger and the muscle and the brilliance and the scientific achievements and the art and the military might and the business and the industry that would continue our sleepwalking? No. Do we want to spend our life asleep in the daydreams of the world of the glitz? Or do you want to be awake in the dawning rays of the age to come? Where Christ and his people will lead lives so full of joy and love and justice and creativity that everything we thought was great in this age will look like the kindergarten of the universe. Paul tells the Romans the better thing to put on. And he chooses a word that implies that the Christian life is not just a wakeful life, but it's a wakeful battle. He says, so then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. While we were sleepwalking in unbelief, oblivious to the reality of Christ, we walked in darkness, and the clothing we wore were works of darkness. Now God awakens us from the stupor of unbelief. We embrace Christ as Savior and Lord and treasure of our lives, and we put on the armor, the weaponry. Because the Christian life is a battle. To be awake is to be at war. He uses the put on language again in verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask ourselves how the armor of light and the Lord Jesus Christ relate to each other. Is there a difference? The story is told of a Bible study group that had been asked the question, in your time of discouragement, what is your favorite scripture? A young man in the group says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23. A middle-aged woman says, God is my refuge and strength. Psalm 46. And then we'll call him Mr. John. An 80-year-old gentleman says, my verse is, it came to pass. Which, of course, is not a complete verse, but it does appear throughout Scripture. And he began to explain why. At 30, he says, I lost my job with six, six hungry mouths and a wife to feed. I did not know how we would make it. At 40, my oldest son was killed overseas in war. And it knocked me down. At 50, my house burned to the ground. Nothing was saved in our home. At 60, my wife of 40 years got cancer. But each time I looked in the Bible, I saw one of those verses that included the phrase, and it came to pass. What he is explaining was the virtue of hope, but also the battle that we endure. During hardships, the Christian maintains hope. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in praying. To maintain hope, we must put on the armor of light. And the candle we've lit today reminds us of the hope that is not in vain. It will produce a harvest, and Christ is the reward. Now let's turn to the gospel passage for just a moment in Jesus' words. He points to the hope that comes through endurance. I don't know how you like two-to-one odds, for every $1 bet, you get $2 out of it if you win. Well, the gospel today gives us two-to-one odds. It's not great to be the odd man out, however. It says here, Jesus says, two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken and one left. Outwardly, 
They may be about the same task, but one is destined for life, the other eternal loss. Of the four, two are saved, two are lost. And in verse 39, he states that the flood came and took away the people, but Noah and his family were left behind and received God's mercy. This is a common pattern in the Old Testament. The remnant is left behind and is often contrasted with those who are killed or destroyed, which is symbolic for dying in the state of mortal sin. Committing the mortal sin is spiritual death. Jesus intends that we understand ourselves as being in a situation analogous to that of Noah. A righteous remnant in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and thus to persevere in righteousness. This, fall, this falls into what does it look like in Jesus' day and what does it look like today to persevere in righteousness. So practically, how do we clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ? If we go back to Paul's words in Romans, we find our answer. We could answer this question simply from the nature of faith and hope and love ourselves. Faith comes from hearing, so put on Christ by listening to the Word of God about Christ. Hope comes from promise, so put on Christ by remembering the promises of Christ. Love comes by the loveliness of Christ, so put on Christ by calling to mind His beauty. But there is a signal here in the text itself. It confirms we're on the right track, but there's more to it. Verse 14, but... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word provision literally means forethought. And the whole sentence would be like this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let any thought in your head that would lead to a sinful desire. Not just to gratification of the sinful desire, but even the desire itself. And we all know how this works, right? Male, female, young, and old, we know that by thinking certain thoughts, we can awaken certain sinful desires. Paul gives us three categories here in Romans. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. So not at sleep, but awaken, not in our pajamas. And he says, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And the point of this verse 14, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, is don't let any thought in your head that gives rise to these types of desires. If you're bored, lonely, or tired, or discouraged, or feeling hopeless, don't ponder the relief of the outside things of this world, such as drugs or alcohol, to relieve you. They simply put us to sleep. They stir up the sleepwalking that Paul calls the works of darkness. It's like going to work in your pajamas. Don't let those thoughts in your head. If you're the frustrated housewife or working mom, married to a man who never learned affection, never learned tenderness, never learned how to simply talk about what matters to you, don't daydream about Mr. Perfect because he doesn't exist for one. But don't let those thoughts into our head. Your frustrated husband or single man who wonders why there is no woman to embrace or why the woman you have doesn't want to embrace. Don't let the illicit thoughts in your mind. Don't put them there with your fantasies and don't do it with a computer either. 
Don't be conformed to this darkness. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Put on the armor of light. Put on Christ. Don't let thoughts into your minds that waken sinful desires. What about the quarreling and the jealousy? If you've been wronged maybe, maybe 30 years ago, or maybe you've been overlooked or belittled or misunderstood or abandoned, don't let these thoughts into our head. They're provisions of the flesh. They awaken resentment and anger and envy and covetousness and jealousy. We don't put those things into our mind, but we put on Christ. How? Sometimes just trying to resist them reminds us of them, right? The answer is not mainly by direct resistance, though that's important. We should indeed say no to a rising thought that would lead to sinful desire. But the remedy itself is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, calling to mind the words of God that awaken more faith in Jesus. And calling to mind the promises of God that awaken more hope in Jesus. And calling to mind the beauty of Christ that awakens more love to Jesus. This is the confirmation that we're talking about. This is what we need. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is not just the alternative to making a provision for the flesh. It is the way we keep from making provisions for the flesh. It's the way we kill these sinful thoughts. It's the way we keep them from even arising. If we go back to the gospel passage that Jesus speaks of in the latter part there in 43 and 44, I'm reminded of an illustration, and I don't know who to give credit to. I can't remember where I've read it, so it's not mine, but I'm going to use it anyway. But it goes like this, where the, the devil and his, and his evil ones are together, and the first one of the devil's uh, angels there says, I will tell them, uh, when they're trying to figure out how to ruin the people and tempt the people, the first one says, I'll tell them that there is no God. Satan the chief of all the devils, says, that won't do, for people know that there is a God. The second one says, well, I'll proclaim that there is no hell. The devil responds again, that's not good enough, either because man knows there is no hell as a punishment for sin. And the third one says, I'll convince them that there's plenty of time. Don't hurry and don't worry. Satan himself says, an excellent strategy. Go and ruin the people. If you're saying I have time to get out of the slumber, just a little while longer in the pajamas, a little while longer in the sleepwalking, you might be right. Maybe there is time, but you might be wrong. In that your slumber, you wait, and it's too late. Jesus' words are, be prepared, come out of the slumber, be awake, put on Christ, Paul says, for we know not the day when the return of Jesus will come. You choose not to fully put on Jesus, but you play the games of church and religion to pass the time. There is the return that is imminent and the hope that we hold on to this Advent season and every season is that Jesus is coming. And we put on Christ as the Lord of all things. We put on hope. We press in to pursue Him and all that He is until the day of his return. I'll close with this phrase that I love from Russell Moore, who says it this way Jesus doesn't want to be invited into your life. Your life is a wreck. Instead, 
He invites you into His life, a life of righteousness and joy. It is this call that this Advent season and every season, Jesus says, to lay down your desires, your own ways, and trust that God has better ones. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.